Last week we just did an overview, an introduction of the Gospel of John, but, but that overview began actually at the end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 31, which is actually the only book in the Bible that specifically states what its purpose is. The Gospel of John is the only book that states what its purpose is. And that's in verse 31. John writes in 2031, he says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John is... A narrative with discourse, Jesus speaking, composed of many scenes from the life of Jesus. It does not pretend to be at all a complete biography. There are many chronological gaps in in the Gospel of John, different than the synoptic Gospels. And in many ways, this, this Gospel can seem that it has a lot of discontinuity, and many of its events have little direct chronological connection to one another. And so you can be reading and, and you think, wait a minute, this just doesn't seem to flow. But nevertheless, there is this wonderful and remarkable unity built on the one purpose of John convincing the reader that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. As we read in, in 30, 2031, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the, the reader is introduced to John in a unique way in his, in his gospel, and he's introduced to, and he introduces Jesus in this wonderful sort of... the, the a heavenly way. There are Jesus, he introduces Jesus' supernatural powers, his origin, his goals. He is the logos, the, the word that has come into the world. That's how John begins this. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they provide many earthly facts about Jesus' life. You see about Jesus' birth and, and you read about his, his life where you don't find those things in John. In fact, 90% of what is in John is not in the other Gospels. So you're, it, it's a discovery of new things in John's Gospel. John's Gospel gives a decidedly, and we'll discover this different view, a more heavenly view of Jesus' powerful signs, he, introducing the Trinity, light and darkness, the, the introduction of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the the Gospel of John, we'll talk about this later, the Gospel of John is really the definitive work in Scripture on the Holy Spirit. You want to learn about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, read the Gospel of John. Now, remember this. As we go through this, John, John's Gospel is a story. It is a story. I, and John is a storyteller. And he's a good storyteller. And when you read this account of Jesus' life, I want you to see it through John's eyes. John is, has written this in his later years. Tradition has it that John was living in Ephesus, a part of the Ephesian church. He, it was prior to his exile to the island of Patmos. 
and he is looking back. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written, and John's is the last gospel. And he's looking back, but he's not looking back at historical facts. He's looking back at having spent time walking on the earth with the creator of the world. That's the story he's telling. Do you get that? John's talking about time with the eternal God in human flesh. And he's telling a story through his eyes and through his experience and through what he wants his readers to learn. That Jesus is the Christ. And his life was changed. I mean, early on, do you remember John and his brother James? Who are they known as? Sons of thunder. And they were, they were jockeying for position. Who is going to sit at Jesus' right and Jesus' left? They were, they were and I mean, John's mom, Salome, is, is, is trying to get them into Jesus' favor. And, and so these sons of thunder, they were the ones who were saying, hey, we, we see these people doing wrong. Should we call down lightning and thunder upon them? And later on, as you get later on in John's life, who does he become known as rather than sons of thunder? The apostle of love. He's been changed. Christ has changed his life. And so as you read this along with me, as you read it in your, your private time, walk along with John from Jerusalem to Samaria, through Galilee, and back to Jerusalem again, and, and read it as an older man, reminiscing and remembering. Read it through, through John's eyes. Think of the sights and the sounds and the smells and the encounters John experienced as he followed along with the eternal Son of God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy encounters Aslan the lion, the king of Narnia, and as she gazes once again into his large and wise face, Aslan speaks to her and says, Welcome, child. Aslan said, Lucy... You're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, said Lucy. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. My hope is that we work our way through the wonders of this gospel story. We find Jesus bigger and bigger and bigger. I want us to see Christ growing in our eyes as Lucy saw Aslan growing bigger in her eyes. As we read through John's gospel, let's, once again, let's not forget why he wrote this account so that these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the background of every message that we're going to hear from John, is that passage is in the background. 1974, 
the summer of 1974. I was 19 years old. It was the summer of Coca-Cola. Still, you could go to a Coke machine, put in your quarter, and get out a six-ounce glass bottle of Coca-Cola. That's 1974 that made people absolutely terrified to go swimming in their pool. Da-da. And, and, and I remember my, my girls had watched this as they got older, and I, from the background, I'd be in the other room, and I'd go, Da-da. and my girls would go, no! That, those two notes in the background, you always, you just know, it, you could be anywhere in the world and hear those two notes and you know exactly what's happened. There's this giant mechanical shark that's going to take over the world and I'm not going swimming. I mean, that's just, well, I want you to know John 20, 31, that passage that John writes These are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That is the of John. Every passage that we read, that is in the background going, that is the story of John. And this morning, as we jump into the opening of this, we're going to hear that, and I want us to hear those notes in the background. This morning we're going to be starting in John, John 1 and John verses 1 through 18 are known as the prologue. The prologue can be, it can be divided. We could spend a lifetime in the prologue. And learn all we need to know about God and Christ. About mankind and sin and darkness and Satan. We could spend a lifetime in 18 verses. And still be enriched by the word of God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the prologue in three messages so that we move a little slowly. Now, I'm not planning on taking 20 years to do the Gospel of John. Um, and I am going to do entire um, chapters at one setting. But this morning, I want us to start slowly. So let me read. I'm going to read the whole prologue, but we're going to study verses 1 through 5 this morning. <clears throat> read along. In your paper Bibles, if you have them. <laughs> There's, that's an older person talking. <laughs> Here's the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Father, we love you. And our desire this morning is to love you more and to know you more. And we want to do this by studying your words. Lord, these words are you. They're about you. And Lord, by reading them and by believing them, we can have life in your name. Give us life this morning, Father. Give us illumination. Let the light of the world shine that we might understand these passages and that we might know Christ more. Lord, please help me in my weaknesses and all my inadequacies to serve these folks I love so well. Lord, glorify your name this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. John 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These first five verses introduce the Word to us, telling us who the Word is. He is God. He is the eternal Son. He is the creator of all things. He is the source of our being. He is the source of our spiritual life. And my proposition this morning is simply a statement this morning. It is this. Come see the greatness of Christ in the written word. Come see the greatness of Christ in the written word. And just three points this morning from this passage, John writes his gospel to answer actually three questions this morning. Who is the Word? 
What has the word done and why has the word come? Who is the word? What has the word done and why has the word come? And who is the word is the first question. And and that question is actually answered for us in verse 14 of chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Who is the word? John tells us that he is Jesus, the incarnate word, the God who became flesh and dwelled among us. And in this, he is the eternal pre-existent God. That is what John is saying here. He says, in the beginning was the word. He's saying that Jesus was pre-existent. In other words, before creation, Jesus existed. He is the eternal God. In the beginning was the word. What does that refer back to in the beginning? But it refers back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. And John is writing and saying, look, in the beginning was the word. He's saying in the beginning when God created, before God created, Jesus was there. He's establishing Jesus' deity, his divinity. He's making clear, and that's John's purpose. He's letting us know that Jesus is God. In the beginning is a direct reference to Genesis 1. And, 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 that, is, and that word beginning is, is a reference back to the beginning of creation, the beginning of the created universe. And our Savior was there at that time was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Think about the original audience that read these words made up of Jews and Greeks. That's who John was writing to. John was writing to Jews who were dispersed, who were in the Greek culture. He's writing to the, the, the Greek culture as well because they are going to be reading this. And, and that who's, who he's writing to, and he uses this word lagos. In the beginning was the Lagos, was the Word. In the beginning was the Lagos. And, and, and to the Greeks, that meant someone who was in, endowed with, who is um, powerful, who had this force, but who was abstract and impersonal. I mean, it would be, it would be when you think about the, the Greeks' view of Lagos, it would be kind of, Luke Skywalker and the force being with you. It's impersonal, but it's powerful. That's, that's how the Greeks viewed the word lagos, but not the Jews. The Jews viewed the word lagos much differently, and they saw so much more. The word of the Lord in the Old Testament is used, and the word of the Lord came, and the word of the Lord came. And to the Jew, when he heard the word of the Lord, in his mind, God was present. In his mind, God entered onto the scene. And when the Jews hear the word lagos, they see this as an expression of God's divine power. They see this as an expression of God's presence. That's what Lagos means to a Jew. God is here. God is here in power. God is here personally. 
The Old Testament teaches that God creates and delivers and guides and rules by his logos, by his word. And so when John writes, in the beginning was the word, he uses the Jewish logos. He's saying, in the beginning was God. That's what he's writing to this audience. In the beginning was God. The Old Testament is the expression of God in written word. But in the New Testament, Jesus is the expression of God incarnate. So the Old Testament, the Jews are reading this and they're saying, yeah, I get it. I get it. When, when you say Logos, God is, it, that's the expression of God. I'm, I'm meeting God when I hear this is the word of the Lord. But John's just jumping and he, ahead and he's saying, look, you're getting more than what you remember from the Old Testament. When I say was the word, was the Logos, I'm saying Jesus is here. And he is dwelling among you. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. John tells us there was never a time that the Word did not exist. Think about that. In the beginning was the Word before creation. And understand this, up until creation, time didn't exist. There was no concept of time. Time began, we began marking time at creation. God doesn't live in time. He always was and always will be. He's eternal. He's infinite. There's no beginning. There's no end. Time began at creation. There were no watches <laughs> prior to creation. There wasn't a time when Jesus did not exist. When the heavens and the earth were created, Jesus was already in existence. He was already in fellowship with the Father. This is John's opening point. Jesus always existed because he is God. You've got to remember the audience he's writing to. There's, they're just a few decades removed from the crucifixion of Christ. They're a few decades removed from the creator of the universe walking on the earth. They're a few decades removed. And there are people who, who, who knew him, who, who'd run into the Savior. And, and John is establishing, look, he is God. I mean, that's, yeah, that's as crazy as saying Elvis is alive. <laughs> and I know there are some in this room who believe that, but Elvis is not alive. But Jesus is. Jesus is God. And if Jesus always existed, then get this, the starting point of the gospel can be traced further back than creation. Do you get that? The gospel began before creation. God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge and his omniscience knew from all time that Jesus would become God incarnate. And that the gospel was there 
from eternity past. Before you and I were created, before the world was created, God had the gospel there ready for us. That's an amazing expression of the love of God. How much God loves us. That before creation began, he already had the plan of salvation in place. That the Godhead, the Trinity, in their love for creation, which had not been created, he was going to save. Now, already I see some smoke coming out of people's ears like, Wow, that's just, yeah. That's why John is trying to reduce this down to a simplistic, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus began. It just amazes me. And then in verse one eight, he says, and the word was God. Here we again see the echoes of 2031, the da-da, that he is the Messiah, the son of God. And the exact meaning in this phrase was God. The word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then look at verse the 1c, the word was God. In its meaning, in character, uh, he is in every way a separate person from God the Father. That's what, that's what is being established here. And when you read, and the word was with God, the point that, that John is making is that he's introducing the Trinity. Do you get that? This is the Trinity being introduced in the opening words of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word is, it was became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. So Jesus was with God, separate, one God, two persons. Now, we don't, we don't get introduced to the Holy Spirit just yet in John's gospel, but the, but the foundations of the Trinity are being laid for you here. The Godhead is being expressed Being eternally pre-existent means that Jesus was always with God the Father. There has always been the Trinity. The Trinity didn't get invented so that the gospel could come about, so Jesus could come to earth. The Trinity wasn't some brilliant idea that God had somewhere before creation and thought, we need a couple of us more, and then we can have a gospel, and we can save people after we create them. The Trinity always existed. Jesus has always been there, as has the Spirit, as has the Father. And, and, and you're getting all of that in these short sentences. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And just to make sure you get it, he says this, he was in the beginning with God. He doesn't stop. He just repeats himself. When you see the, rep the repetition of words in Scripture, the, the author is making a point. He's trying to emphasize something. And so he makes it clear in the beginning, he was in the beginning. Do you get it? 
Something was happening in the beginning. And it is this. Jesus was there. This creator of the universe. He is the eternal son to the father. He's not only preexistent, but he is the eternal son to the father. That's who the word is. He is eternally preexistent. In other words, he's always been there. He's eternal. He's always existed. And he is eternally son to the father. Which gives, I mean, it should give you great confidence. There is the Godhead has always existed. And they've always existed in perfect unity, perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect communication. And it is that Godhead that chose to create us and love us. It should give you great confidence in who God is. That you are loved. That God would, in his infinite love and wisdom... have this plan of salvation before he even created the world. And he would do it through the son who knew he would sacrifice his own life and suffer and die on a cross. The father and son have always been together. What a wonderful gospel that provides this clear teaching. And as we read through, we're going to discover more and more on the doctrine of the Trinity. We're going to discover John's wonderful theological teaching on who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. But, But right now, his purpose is focused on from verse 1 all the way through the end of his gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. What is most profound to me is this personal relationship that God the Father has with the Son and the Spirit. You should walk away amazed that that, the overflow of that relationship is God's relationship with you. His love for you. What has the Word done? That's the second question. What has the word done? Well, verse 3 tells us this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. So we know that Jesus is God. He is God eternal, God preexistent. And we know that he was with God at creation. But what was he doing at creation? Because he preexisted prior to creation. Well, we know from Scripture that Jesus is the agent of creation. He is the agent God used to create the world. 
there's, there's two statements in here, one positive, one negative. Positively, through him all things were made, but negatively, without him, nothing was made that was made. I mean, it's just this repetitive, do you get it, sentence that John is after again. So John goes from, okay, you may not have gotten he, in the beginning, so I'm going to tell you again, he was in the beginning with God. That's one. And two, not, nothing was made in fact, anything that was not made was not made because Jesus didn't make it. I mean, he's just making it clear he's there and he's doing all this stuff. Jesus as creator is a common theme throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament. In Colossians 1.16, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. That's why he has come First. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle of the face of the deep, when he made the firm skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters may not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. Proverbs 8. Jesus was beside the Father like a master workman. Hebrews 1 But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus has created us. And why he created us and why he came? It's because we'll learn about that in just a few moments. We lived in a darkened world. And he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came that we might learn that there is a God and that he is the Messiah, the Savior. And that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We experienced grace and truth. That's why he came. And this creator, what has he done? He has created. What has he done? He's created. And he knows every one of us. He, you know, there's, there's, I realize there are times when a guy's preaching, he just makes statements and they're good statements. And yeah, God knows every one of us. And we go on. Get that. God knows you personally. He's, he created you, every cell, every sinew, every muscle, every bone. He created you. He knows you. He knows when you're hurting. He knows when you're doing well. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're happy. He knows what's going on inside your heart. He knows what's going on inside your mind. He knows you. He has created you and he is personally involved with you. He knows every little thing that's going on with you. And he is not put off by it. He's fixing and working. He's, he's sanctifying you. Back in the early 1900s, Henry Ford developed his assembly line of cars, this revolutionizing idea of production. And there was one man named Charles Steinmetz. Steinmetz was this 
unbelievably gifted mechanical engineer who could put together a car in his mind and take it apart in his mind and fix it in his mind. And one, one day, and, and he just knew machinery. And one day, the Ford plant, the assembly line, the machines broke down and, and the mechanics tinkered with it for hours upon hours and, and even days. And they, they weren't able to get the line up and going. And so they called in Charles Steinmetz and he came over and he, he looked around and he, and he tinkered and, and within just a few minutes he made a few adjustments and the whole thing was working all over again. And so a week later Henry Ford gets a bill and in it it cost $10,000. And Ford is just incensed. So he writes back and says, Charles, $10,000 for just tinkering? And, and Charles writes back with a new bill and says, $9.99 for tinkering, $9,991 to know where to tinker. <laughs> God knows where to tinker. He just doesn't tinker. He knows where to tinker because he's created us. What did he come to do? He came to create And then why has the word come? Well, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of life and glorious eternal light of heaven. Listen, this is what John MacArthur says. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of life and the glorious eternal light of heaven entered the sin-darkened world of men. That's why he came. He came that he might shine light in darkness, that we might see Christ and believe in his name. The the themes of light and darkness are going to be seen throughout this, this gospel. In verse 4, as we read here, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The word life, there's two Greek words for life. One is bios, where we get biology, and the other is zoe, where we get the word, it means spiritual life. And that's what's here. It's not the word bios. In him was not bios, but zoe, the spiritual life, and the spiritual life, Zoe, was the light of men. That's why the word has come, that we might have spiritual life. Only, think about this, I mean, in him was life. Only Jesus, only God could have life in himself. You and I cannot have life in ourselves. We cannot sustain ourselves. We cannot wake up in the morning... In fact, the fact that we have to go to sleep tells us we cannot sustain ourselves, that we need to recharge. God doesn't recharge. Scripture says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is self-sustaining. In him, in him was life because He is the creator of life. He has been eternal. He is infinite. He is self-existence. Life has always been in Christ. In him was life. Why did he come? In him was life. And he came that we might have that life. That, here it is. Here's this eternal God who has become man. He lives among us. He's both eternally God and he's both eternally man. He's, he's both. Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he didn't suddenly not become man. I mean, he's still eternally both. I know that's a 
strange concept. And, but but there's, there's life in him. And when he came, he came to bring that life to you. Now that life, we, we recognize the, the glory of that and the wonder of that at salvation. We get this life. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop. The, 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 the thoughts of and the words and the songs that we sing about the cross and salvation, and uh, they're, they're not just for a moment, they're for eternity. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Light is a, a key word in John's gospel, and, and light is used to talk about Christ being revealed, God being revealed, and, and what we know about God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And so these are, these are the pictures John is painting for us. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring life. He came to bring life, not just for salvation. He came to bring life that you might experience life now. And you might experience eternal life in the future. It, it, it's, it, it's not a one-time event. Life has come. And then in verse 5, he introduces a whole new doctrine here. He introduces the doctrine of sin. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Apart from sin, there would be no darkness. Apart from sin and Satan, there would be no dark world. There would be no darkness in us. There is an enemy of God and of the church that's hell-bent on destroying the light. Throughout history, Satan has desperately tried to kill the life and extinguish the light of Christ. That's what John is introducing here. In the Old Testament, Satan tried to destroy Israel so that the, the nation from where the Messiah come wouldn't exist. We also read in, in 2 Kings how he destroy, tried to destroy the kingly line from where the Messiah came. In the New Testament, he prompted Herod's futile attempt to kill all of the, the children born at the time of Christ so that he could kill the infant Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Satan tries to tempt him, to turn him away from the cross. And he has continued to try and destroy believers to this day. But John makes this point. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome the light. Christ is triumphant. That's John's point here. The light that of Christ that shines in a darkened world where there has been the depth of sin, it just dispels it. Listen, if you believe in Christ, it's because Christ has overcome the darkness in your heart. In many respects, the 18 verses here are like a doxology. It's, it's John's praise of who God is in Christ and what he has come for and what he has done. 
It's a, it's a doxology. And the, the, the challenge that we're going to have, both as a pastor and a, and, a, and a church congregation, is that narrative in the Gospels does not lend itself to application. Go and do this. Do not do this. And you can't pull application out of something that's not there. That's just poor preaching. There is application that we'll see along the way. But more importantly, the application that we often see in a passage that's a narrative like this. The application is drawing near to Christ. That's the application. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Jesus. Without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The eternal God came and dwelt among us, the one who created the world, that we might have life in his name. That, that's why John 20.31 sings the notes of its passage behind everything John writes. That by believing, you might have life in his name. And that life is not just at conversion, that life is throughout your walk on this earth and that life is through eternity with God. The application is to draw near to Christ, to worship Christ. That's the application, to draw near to Him and to believe, to believe. That's one of the key words in John's gospel. 100 times in John's gospel, he uses the word believe. He writes this that you would believe. You, he wrote this section so that you would believe that you have life in his name. That the darkness has overcome, been overcome by the light. So whatever darkness you're facing in this day and age now... The light has overcome it because Christ dwells in you. And that the creator of the universe who is not only God and was with God, but who has made all things and knows what, is, what you're about is with you. Because in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he still dwells among us by his spirit. That's what John is teaching us this morning in these five verses. If you're struggling with something that is dark in your life, Jesus has come and the darkness has not overcome you. Believe that. And believe that the life he's given you is the light. That he, he has given you light to see, to know, to understand. And that the creator 
out of love for you and me, planned the gospel before creation ever happened. Is that not good news? Let's pray. Father, thank you that these challenging theological statements and words, although difficult at times, you make them clear to us by your Spirit. And I, I pray, Lord, what, whatever words I communicated this morning that were hard or not clear, you would make clear to every person here. May they go home today more aware of your power and your love and your presence than when they arrived this morning. May they experience your love as they remember that the gospel was planned before creation, that you, you chose to love them before creation. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. May we grow in our love and understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen.